the last time Arsenal didn't win their first two league games of a pre-season, we won the league. So it's on, boys. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome, front, to Season 2 of the Different Knock Podcast with Alexander Mandipani and my very good friend, it's just us, baby. Bradley Adams. Hello, mate. Hello, handsome. We're back. We it's are. Season 2. Uh, this is the first time we're recording a podcast, just just you and I for a while. I want to say a big thank you to Scott Coyne uh, from the Belgian Football Podcast and Mario from Benfica After 90. Go back and listen to our last two episodes. Brilliant analysis on the first two signings of the summer in Nuno Tavares and uh, Albert Sambi Laconga. Nuno Sambi. Uh, very good episodes, but we're back. Brad, it's we season two. We're analysing some Arsenal football. How do you feel? Uh, stressed. <laughs> <laughs> that familiar feeling. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Like pre-season, like how... I'm going to be I honest, think... mate. I feel, I honestly, I, I texted you about this. I feel horrendous about stuff at the moment when it comes to this club. It's It's bad. Yeah, yeah, we we should get into that in a second. I'd love to discuss yeah. that with you, but yeah, the it's difficult to know how much to kind of read into preseason stuff. And you you uh, would mate. love you would the thing is right is I've seen arguments of people being like you know you you can't I can't believe people are reading anything into preseason, and I I get that to some extent, but also it is the same players, and it's not like you know they are trying like you know so if if they're not mm. up to standard and I, and I appreciate there's so many caveats and there's so many things and i and i don't think we should read too much into it but i think there is certainly some things that we can well, take there's i think there's 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 two sides to the argument both of which are valid in the 2019 summer we took seven points off of like what was it madrid bayern and someone else yeah like we were we fucking smashed it and then you know emery was sacked by december and yeah, yeah. We, it's, ha- we then got in Arteta, so it's it's really really difficult to to kind of actually preseason is a, is it's 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 a real enigma because it means nothing but shows everything. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. it means nothing. So there will of, of course be certain players who aren't giving a hundred percent because they know it's just preseason. It's basically to get people match fit, but it it shows everything and it shows attitudes, desires. Also, what some of these players have been working on over the summer. And, you know, we'll probably come on to it at another point, but coming back and seeing Reese Nelson and Joe Willock looking shredded and ready to go, and then seeing 75-year-old Willian looking like we, we somebody got left at home and we needed, you know, a sub-in on a, on a fucking Sunday, so we just pulled the guy <laughs> off the sidelines who was shouting the loudest, you know. And look, look, I, I saw this whole thing about, oh, you know, you can't fetch. This man is a professional athlete. The fact that he has come back in that shape, it speaks to his mentality. And I know that we've obviously, yeah. we th- like, I think he's got a dog mentality anyway, if you look at his performances and his effort levels from the last season. But the fact like, that's majorly disrespectful. Imagine yeah. having the season that you've had and then coming back like 10 to 15 pounds overweight. 
Yeah. And I think that that specific case is something, you know, where preseason can tell you something. Because yeah. what it's telling you is he's come back for preseason. He's come back for the preparatory part of the of the of the calendar, of the football calendar, not ready. And I think you're right. Like, you know, after the season that he's just had, and again, you know, as you say, there's no fat shaming here. People can look how however they want to look, but when you're in a job that you that specifically requires you to look a certain way or not even look to be a certain level an, of fitness, an elite to, to, athlete to, to play at the capacity athlete, that you athlete. are yeah yeah an elite athlete to play to play at the capacity that you are the fact that you're coming back not at that capacity or and especially based on the season you just had and especially based on the fact that Willian I mean you know <laughs> when we discuss what he offers without being flippant probably one of the first things you'd say is professionalism and experience, right? You know, if we're really saying, you know, last summer, one of the what big reasons experience? we signed him. Yeah. Exactly. What does, what does he offer? He, he offers us experience and professionalism. What example is that setting to, and I'm glad the likes of Reese Nelson and Joe Willett don't, don't look like they're taking it, but what example is that setting to a, a Miguel Aziz? What example is that setting to a, a Kido Taylor Hart who's on the verge of signing a new contract? I don't think they're going to take that, but this is an example of, the culture that I hope we're moving past. And it's a shame. And 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 also an example of the thing, you know, as we were just discussing, preseason, yeah, it can't tell you much, but but there are certain things that you can take, you can take some some meaning from. Exactly. And with and I think that this is a there's kind of two things I want to say off the bounce of that. There that this is a really important moment for Arteta because how he reacts to this will also tell you his demeanor. Willian already in his first season at the club, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make an apology right now to Adam, just straight off the bat. Um, <laughs> but in his first season at the club, it wasn't like it wasn't embroiled in controversy. You know, there was the Dubai incident. There's been a there's been a fair few moments where, you know, at best you could say you know he wasn't at his best and trying hard, and at worst you could say he's basically treating it like a fucking retirement home. And after that, if he's shown this level of disrespect to the club by coming back in this shape and to the point where I thought the first picture was edited, I thought it was a joke. And he isn't either like there's there's already talk of him going out and us getting rid of him. If he isn't gotten rid of and if he isn't demoted to the under 23s until he's gotten rid of and he plays a part in the start of Arsenal's next season, that sends a very clear message to the likes of Reese Nelson, to the likes of Joe Willock, right. to the likes of Kiddo Taylor-Hart. And that's the message that we cannot afford to reinforce because I already have no confidence in this leadership at the moment. It's not that I have any what I would call disconfidence. I just have no confidence in them. I'm firmly sat in the middle. I need I neither disbelieve in them or believe in them. But something like this will very fast get me back on that track to not believing them again. Because I wasn't, it took them the whole of that back end of the season to get me back on board to where I can be like, okay, we'll see what happens. And if that happens, then it's kind of like we're already starting from a very, very, very negative place. But on preseason, one thing to say the last time Arsenal didn't win their first two league games of a preseason, we won the league. So it's on, boys. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> well, just before we analyse the games themselves, you mentioned before this kind of feeling around um, the club. And I think it is, you know, it's it's a good point, you know, as we start season two of the Different Not Podcast, as we start the new season uh, with Arsenal, as the new kits come out, it's it's a good point to be reflecting and to be sort of projecting a little bit. What, where are you at with that? 
kind of stuff. I mean, it feels strange to be asking you on the podcast if I don't know, but you know, yeah. for, for the listeners, where, where, where are you at? This is the worst I've ever felt about Arsenal Football Club in my lifetime. And I think it's because we were and we are so used to being a type of club and performing at a certain level. And whereas last season when we finished eighth and we had a horrendous season, at least felt like a blip. Well, as in the season before last, you know, the first season finishing eighth. And then this season has just kind of compounded. And obviously we had that FA Cup to kind of paper over cracks. But this, I mean, I've never been fans of the Cronkies as as long as I've kind of been kind of an adult football fan and really, or like a mature football fan, understanding the ins and outs of like things. But this honestly is is the first season that I've gone into that I not only have really got no faith in in the kind of ownership structure, but I really don't have any faith in at boardroom level. I don't, ha- you know, I don't have any. I don't have any real faith in the manager. Do I think he could do a good job? Yes, but does my brain also tell me that after everything I've seen, he's just as likely to do a bad one? Yes, because at the moment, what we've seen is very 50-50. We've seen a horrific start to a season and we've seen a good end to a season. So it kind of balances out. And I was saying earlier, I feel in this weird kind of middle ground where I feel that I really don't believe in it but I also I'm not against it it's really really this kind of difficult dichotomy for me at the moment and especially when it comes to kind of the transfer window and we're seeing things happen now things are moving and you you know we're seeing Leon say that they're they're looking at 25 million for Alwa a player that we've apparently been linked to for months and months and months but then comments coming out that Arteta is going to wait until well into the season by the end of August to see if Erdegaard comes back on the market and that you know six months ago we were saying we shouldn't have to convince any player to sign for Arsenal and now we're apparently trying to convince Locatelli when Basuma's sitting there I'm, I'm finding it really really difficult at the moment and really quite stressful anytime I like the Euros has been brilliant but I think one thing that came crashing down last Sunday was this bring back to reality of I actually have no faith in my football club and that's a really weird place to be and I don't know if you feel that way or if the uh, other I know other fans probably feel that way or any of our listeners do but I am just finding it hard to I'm starting to like dip my toe in what I'm trying what I think I'm trying to say is I'm I'm finding it hard to fully invest myself again and that just feels weird to me yeah as in it's just strange yeah mate and there's nothing i can say that that could actually counter anything you just said like i i really i really understand how you've got to that position it makes so much sense to me i think the one thing maybe the one difference for me is in the structure and the management of the club which i believe um as much as it might be difficult and we have to wade through a lot of rumors to kind of get to the truth of things i think there is a lot of encouragement i think if we're looking at our transfer policy you know the likes of the signing of you know Lukonga, Tavares, Ben White these are young mm-hmm. high potential players this is a a structured and clearly um thought out business plan um I don't know if we have the right people in place. I don't know. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think it's difficult to say if Arteta is the right guy. I still have faith. I still think uh, he has a lot of potential, but all that, a lot of that is based on kind of personality politics that I just like the guy and I like, you know, the kind of style he's, he's trying to play. Do I, do I have absolute evidence that he's going to be able to uh, sort of implement it? Not really. But what I would say, maybe on a slightly more optimistic note, is that, I think there is a there's been a bit of a turning point for me in terms of 
um, the running of the club, the, the the bringing in of Tim Lewis and the getting rid of Sanyehi, the um, the the changing of the structure of the scouting department to be more data based and to be sort of more. Um, there's a uh, the James Ellis is the new scout who's going to just focus on the UK and Ireland. It's in line with a more modern approach to scouting. There appears to be a different sort of transfer policy. There appears to be a a, a sort of more approach of kind of. Uh, encouragement of the academy there's been a reshaping of the academy under per murtisaka i'm not saying that all of these things are necessarily going to work because i actually don't think they are <laughs> like you know you know with, with most things it's like um you know if you renovate your house uh no terrible example if you if if you try something new in any in any any walk of life there's no guarantee it's going to work no but what it is doing for me is that it encourages me that we are trying something new i think for so mm. long we were kind of left behind as a football club uh, tried a slightly more continental approach, didn't work, and now we're trying to bring ourselves in line with with modern football clubs and with the way modern clubs are run. And ultimately, I don't feel as um, wedded to specific head coaches or specific technical directors. Or you know, you know, for example, Gazidis's vision. We, you know, if that didn't work, I feel as though there was much more work to be turning around, which we're still turning around, than, mm. for example, if we replaced Edu with someone else. I feel as though there is a, there is a, or Arteta with someone else. I feel there is a more of a um, investment from the top in terms of how we're structured. Again, that might just be the information that I see, the way that I'm taking it, but I do feel more optimistic that even if this doesn't work, which has a massive uh, chance that it doesn't and it's probably more likely not to uh, or not to the extent that we we would like it to i do mm. feel have a bit of optimism that replacing um these people won't feel Will like be the, the, won't feel like the the gargantuan tasks that they are with a gazidis or a venga or a mm. or a sanyehi because because the structures change and it feels as though there's more of a um, but again, that could mean that, you know, we, we might be six months down the line and say, well, we're replacing Edu and there's a problem with Vinay. And, you know, it's 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 really hard to know. But, but I, I have to say, I do have some optimism. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. And I think obviously, you know, we talk about Sanyehi and the irony is him and Edu were pictured on holiday. <laughs> I yeah. sent you it on to, and you go, well, are we really out of the Sanyehi era at Arsenal? And Keo as well. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, if there weren't still a few things kind of hanging over the head of Arsenal, like, you know, Edu is one of the big reasons at the moment. I think that Mikel has, in in a decent end to the season, at least earned the right to have the first few months of this season after a kind of transfer window and a real revitalization of the squad. But, I think because all we're seeing is the transfer side of things at the moment, the way that we're doing business just doesn't fill me with confidence. You look at clubs, they are going out and they are getting done what they need to get done. And I think that if we, if we were doing that, rather than going out to dinner with former technical directors who were taking £10 million payments on deals and riding jet skis, I'd feel so much more confident. But I think the thing is, is the first thing that, us as fans are greeted with is the transfer window and whilst the Ben White deal is obviously looking concluded and subject to a medical it's we're what we're a month into the window now is it a month or so I think we have a month until our first game against Brentford and we have a month until our first game against Brentford right we should realistically have 
most of the players that we want in before this uh, tour of the US because you need to bed these players in. One thing that you really saw as an issue when Party came in on deadline day last year was one, obviously scuppered by injury, but two, it takes time to gel with teammates to understand how mm. players are going to give you the ball and understand how you need to receive it because of the slight angle of their passes and, and things like mm. that. Mm-hmm. And when it seems that we're going to really change the way that we're playing, you know, if it's Locatelli or Basuma, both of them change the way we play. Whether whether it's Alwar or Madison, and we go yes, from a technical four two three one or a four three three or whatever kind of mm. serial box formation you want to call it, there there needs to be some kind of bedding in time for these players. And um, we've seen it with Arsenal before. We saw it with that. You let the fans down that signing players Stop early. Play from Ecuador. It's so important for not only morale around the camp but also for those players to get the opportunity to bed in with their new squad mates. And I think because that's the one thing I can really judge what we're doing on at the moment, especially because I haven't, I've watched some of the preseason stuff, but I've been working a crazy amount. So I haven't been able to actually watch the full 90 minutes. Um, it, it's the one thing that I'm active in and looking at because of the time that I have available. And it seems to be the one area where we're not moving a lot and for yeah. a squad like ours where there needs to be a lot of movement there's another five or six people that need to be out the door and there's another three or four that need to come in i think that's mainly why i feel so negative at the moment yeah i get that well i mean it's all relative i mean and someone could definitely yeah. make the argument of you know well, well you know got you know three players in before you know a month before we've got a month and Ultimately, you know, we can sit here with all the caveats and say, but I do, I do 100% and, and see what the, you're, you're You're absolutely right. Because the thing is, if those three players that we've gotten in were Ben White, um, Locatelli and Alwa, and then we went on to sign Tavares and Laconga mm. in the next month of the window, the entire conversation changes. Mm, mm, mm. But because it's the flip side of that, and we've signed Tavares, Laconga, and we're now signing players that look like they're going to make a meaningful impact in our first team. It's been a month and it feels like we're only just getting to our first signing. Yeah. If that which, makes sense. Yeah. Which maybe in retrospect, we might look back on and say, well, we had to wait to get the right players. But ultimately, I do understand what you're saying that in terms of, you know, that's going to take time for them to bed in. You want them there on the preseason. It's yeah, it's I do agree. It's I think ultimately only time can tell. Only time can of tell. Of course, mate. We could have the best transfer window ever, mate. And yeah, we'll be happy as pigs in it. But, but we just don't know. We have no faith. I remember signing Petr Cech and that was it. Like, Yeah, yeah. No, we've we've been hurt before. We've been hurt before. Uh, so just analysing the games quickly. <laughs> like, I don't want to spend ages on it because, you know, there, there is, there, you know. Mean just, nothing. There is, well, well, no, I don't, you know, there is a meaning to them. But it's, it's, it depends how much you take that on. Hmm. Um. So we had some debuts in the Hibs game. Uh, Arthur Conquo having signed his new contract uh, and given the number 33 shirt, which is a good number for a third keeper. Love that. Mm. Uh, looks big. Um, looks like he could be kind of demanding, supposedly according to George... Uh, demanding? Um, commanding. Uh, supposedly according to George Bird, who's the sort of Arsenal youth expert, he's pretty unflappable. So doesn't feel like that sort of lack of confidence that he appeared to have. He sort of flapped at a... Um, a cross that came in and obviously had that moment with the with the Cedric back pass. I'm not going to read too much into it. And considering the the game he had, you know, had a you know really calm 45 minutes against against uh, Rangers, 
he's 19 years old. There's, there's only so much you can read into it. And, um, and Harry Clark looked good to me. Um, great touch. Uh, I, you know, I don't think he's going to get much game time. I think he'll probably end up, you know, heading out at some point and probably on a permanent, but there is a certain level of, um, you know, not every. I heard a, a conversation on the Arsenal Vision podcast recently, which I think is is a is a really great point. It's like, what is a success of of an academy graduate? What is a success? Is it for someone to be Saka? Like that can't be our only version of success. Success no. should also be someone going out, you know, uh, and you know, someone paying five million pounds for Harry Clark next summer you know it, and it he can plays be... at the top of the championship or exactly or success yeah. can be you know selling Maitland-Niles for 15 million pounds success and can also it... be getting Willock out for 20 million like yeah. I think we can view success at, at different degrees and I also think it it also it depends whether you're talking about from the point of view of the club or the point of view of the player mm-hmm. you know the point of view of the club if you're running a successful academy, you're producing talents like Saka, but then you're also producing talents that you can sell to the bottom of the Premier League or the kind of lower mid-table of the Premier League and to the top of the championship for decent money. Like, you know, we produced Christian Bielik and sold him on to Derby, I think, for kind of around the six to eight million pound mark. And it is that kind of idea that not everyone is going to be, and it's something that Chelsea are really good at, not everyone is going to be Saka not everyone is going to be Foden but there is a pyramid of football underneath us that needs players we should also look to produce players that can play at the top level of that and sell it down and that's how you trickle money in you know Chelsea are about to get what is it 15 million pounds from Crystal Palace from a man who's not played a Premier League minute which is phenomenal business it's it's great business and it's also a self-sustaining model you know we Mm -hmm. think of you know say 500,000 pounds to a you know for for, I don't know say to Derby for buying a random academy grad right but we think 500 grand that's that's you know chump change in sort of Premier League standards but that's you know wages for say five or six staff you know for a couple of years you know or or, you know I I don't know how much people earn but you know we, if you think about it in those terms, that's, you know, we've got to run as a self-sustaining model. And um, yeah, I, I think the use of the academy players in this in these kind of games is great. Um, yeah, it was good. The one thing I'd say sort of structurally, uh, we started with a sort of 4-3-3 single pivot and Aubameyang was kind of more central and a bit deeper. We didn't quite do that in the Rangers game. I don't know if it was just a setup for the Hibs game, but we looked a lot. Um, it was it, It's an interesting setup and also obviously... It all depends, as we've sort of just discussed in, the, in that kind of intro around who we sign. But I do like the mm. look of that sort of 4-3-3 single pivot with the party at, at the base. Uh, you could have a Laconga in there. It could end up being a Locatelli in there and party further forward, whatever it may be. But I did think we looked, uh, there was some really nice one-touch stuff. We looked to be playing it around. Something I've noticed in, the, in both of the games we appear, and again, this is definitely sort of maybe a, a sort of a placebo effect of, you know, we've had gone up, gone away and had a summer. There appears to be a bit more of an understanding of spaces. Um, I feel like as though there's a lot more movement around the ball um, in terms of people understanding their, their, their zones and their roles. Um, mm. There's a lot more movement once you've played the ball. There's a lot more, feels like more of an understanding of the angles. Um it looked better. They looked like a slightly more coached team, and I appreciate it against you know it's against Hibs, but um, I did I did think we looked sort of more cohesive, um, especially in the second half against Rangers. Um, 
Smith-Rowe, Lacazette, Pepe were having some lovely interchanges. It's the benefit of players playing with each other for a while and having a preseason where they can work on those patterns, work on that play. Um, and I think just, you know, we focus on incidents in a game which kind of define games and that and that makes complete sense. But I think there is also a definite um, meaning to be taken in, in, in these kind of preseason games from, from the patterns and, and how we're looking sort of in build-up. Um, so what I want to point out is Pablo Mari playing some lovely line-breaking passes. I mean, like beautiful line-breaking passes. I think two or three in both games, which is something I've not seen in his game before. Um, uh, Smithrow uh, popping up in different positions, using both feet. There's been some development. Um, Nelson as well, I think, is, is, has come on uh, a little bit since the last time I saw him in terms of his ability to... Uh, he's dropping slightly deeper, making slightly less risky decisions, which tend to work out a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think, you know, again, I don't want to read too much into a preseason games, uh, but I do think there has been some some development um, mm. and maybe it's a bit of a placebo effect, but that's what preseason's for. Like, you know, that, that's got to be what it's for. And and it's it's something that, that Arteta's mentioned before and something we also forget is that these players are a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. Some of them have been at, you know, another international tournament and you do develop players and especially with a, with a, a team full of the likes of Smithrow, the likes of Saka and Nelson and stuff, as much as we would love, you know, incomings to sort of fix the problems that we've had, there is going to be an enhancement and a, and a, and a development in those younger players, which I think we can look forward to and mm-hmm. and rely on more than we perhaps um, have done or, or have, yeah, have thought agree. to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not loads to say on the games. I mean, I've got, you know, sort of notes on stuff. There was some sort of Colosinac, uh, Colosinac, if you want to say his name, cutbacks. Yeah, which was cutbacks, kind of prime Emery Prime Emery style. Ball. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Pepe's looked good over both games. Did you see Jack Henry Francis? Come on. He, no. I mean, bless him. He looks about 15. I mean... I think he, he is be. about 15. But he like he had an oversized shirt. His shorts didn't fit him. Uh, he looks like a nice blend of sort of uh, defensive and attacking qualities. But he was, yeah, I mean, bless him. He just, he just, he just looks so young. It's, it's so pre-season for this sort of, you know, like 15-year-old kind of guy. Um, but yeah, uh, one thing I want to say uh, about the Rangers game before I come on to my sort of main concern of the preseason. Um, is their left back Calvin Bassi really um, took my eye? He stopped the uh, the tap in um, from Aubameyang at one point. Uh, he's got great feet, good positionally, looks quick and strong. Um, Twenty one years old, I think he could be a good pickup, someone someone to watch. Um, corners has been my only real bugbear from uh, these games. Uh, we've conceded three in two. Now I'd love to put it down to luck or something, but we've just had a new uh, guy come in. I forget his name, Nicolas Jova. I think his name is a French French yeah, he's our new set piece yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, it's a concern because we're not good from corners. I mean, like quite seriously, I probably couldn't name you. Maybe the Gabriel header as being a notable one we scored in the Europa League. Apart from that, I mean, set pieces have been pretty poor for us. Um, and I, I think it's, I think the thing is, is it's all, um, it's correlation, not causation in the sense that we've got a new set piece coach in and now we're shit at set, set pieces. Yeah. 
It's that we've come back, we've had barely four or five training sessions to really drill in how we want to defend set pieces, how we want to do it and where we want to move. And when you don't do that, um, you need incredible mercurial talents at the back who know what to do and know what they're doing. And we know we're not going to get that from Hector Bellerin, who lost his man for one of them. And we know we're not going to do that. We're not going to get that from Mohamed Elneny, who lost his man for another one of them, you know. And I think that's, I can't remember who said it, but apparently like, there was somebody who said something that like Wenger just never used to coach the defense because he used to just mm. buy players that um, knew it, yeah. that knew what they were doing. And I think that's the difficulty when you don't have elite players at the back and they haven't had time to be coached in by this new coach who might have a new philosophy and you know they're yeah, coming a, back it's their problems, first couple yeah. of games uh, it's obviously a worrying sign that we've conceded three in two but I think a lot of that's to do with the fact that Hector Bellerin isn't good enough and you know it's individual mistakes like losing your man from a corner that's cost us this rather than our setup if that makes sense yeah no, I, I, I do see that. And yeah, it was two individual mistakes. I think it's probably just a case of, you know, new ideas being implemented and not had time to kind of to kind of get them in. Also, when you get a consistent, I think something we we kind of missed last season was a sort of consistent central defensive line, a consistent um, a consistent team. And I'm not saying, I think we were one of, I think we might have been one of, if not, if if not the most inconsistent in terms of our starting 11, the amount of different 11s used. I think Aston Villa were the most consistent. And there is a sort of price to pay in that. You know, you, there, there is the um, adaptability and there is the different players for different games, which is a sort of maybe quite a good idea uh, in terms of using different strengths against different teams. But then there's also the lack of cohesiveness, which, um, yeah, I think is something, another thing, <laughs> another thing on the to-do list for our test to sort out. Just before we go to uh, sort of uh, news and views, I do want to say, I've paid it, but twenty seven ninety nine for four preseason games should be free. It should be free. This really it's it disgusts me. Disgusting. It disgusts me. It speaks to the mentality of, you know, we heard after the ESL. Oh, we listen to you. We hear you. We're we're sorry. We're going to do more for the fans. This is what the Cronkies are money grabbing leeches they have charged 27.99 for four games of what a lot of points cuz it's just fucking druid dross football you know players aren't at it they're barely even match fit we've got players severely overweight and you know it it again is one of the reasons that feeds into my current anxiety about the way that we're moving because not only are we you know, not make it, but we're, we're, we're focusing, we're focusing more on charging our own fans than sorting our own squad out at points. Like 28 quid. Yeah. They having a laugh. It's, it's a lot of money. And yeah, I mean, the, th the thing is, I re I'm a privileged person in a position where I, I, I can pay that. Right. And, you know, I understand that there are streams available, but there's some people who just want to support their club and they literally can't afford that. Like they literally can't, you know, I pay something like 77 quid or something for BT and Sky. And, you, you know, for me personally, I like watching the rest of the Premier League and, um, you know, I'm sort of okay with paying that. And, you know, I'm in a privileged position where I can pay that. I have a good job and all that sort of stuff, right? But there are people who just want to support a football team 
who can't do that because of the and this you know we're not going to get into the whole sort of price of football stuff but i do think it's a it's a, another indicator as if we didn't need one uh, sorry as if we needed one that you know there is a financial imperative here and it's just another right what pissed me off right is they said only 27.99 don't put fucking only as if it's cheap oh it's only only 27.99 to watch us get beat by hibs cheers guys <laughs> but it's Thanks also so like you look at the Look at the players that are being involved. Yeah. As in like, it's peripheral players and then a couple of like first team starters getting a, some fitness minutes under their belt. Yeah. Like it's not, it's it's I, really, really poor. I really paid, poor. I paid £10 for a Carabao Cup game. Uh, I think it was the Nottingham Forest game uh, recently with my friend. And, you know, that was a live experience in the, ma- in, in, you know, in an actual competition and that was 10 quid. So it just goes to show like, you know, they're targeting a digital market, which they know they can get. And uh, yeah, listen, it's it's a shame. But but this is the thing. All you can do is go, well, that's it. Just got to pay it because they have the means of, you know, uh, means of production without sounding completely. Yes, and also, if you go, if you go like out to the US, it's nothing to do with the means of production because in the US and now I actually have a job and have the means to pay for things. I'm just, you can subscribe to a torrent, not a torrent, like a, a VPN, change your um, your VPN to the US, go on DAZN Sport, pay $15 a month to get every single Premier League and Champions League game. $15, Alex. That's like £12 mm. for everything. Mm. They, they, they gouge the English market for English football. It's a fucking disgrace. Yeah, Amazon, uh, 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 I think it's something like, you know, 12, 12 euros or something and they get the League One for free. Uh, not for free, they literally just paid, you know what I mean? They get League One and it's, uh, yeah, I think I think times will change soon. But we <laughs> we are not going to change it on this podcast, unfortunately. Uh, we'll see you after this. Yeah. Weddings are the celebration of all the details that make a couple perfect for each other. And you can find your perfect fit, too, at Indochino. Choose every detail of a custom-tailored suit, from lapels to linings and more, starting at just $4.99. My bad. Shh. Sorry. Find the suit that's perfect for you. Go to Indochino.com and use code PODCAST for 10% off any purchase of $3.99 or more. That's 10% off $3.99 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Code PODCAST practice news and views we give you all the news and all your views but mostly ours just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts you can support us on patreon and buy patreon, 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 me patreon. a coffee links are in the me, show description me 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 me, me, me. Uh, the big news brad the biggest news the biggest possible news is the new kit do you like it yes or no the red one. Uh, the home kit. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's a, do it's you know nice. what I think? It's a, bit, it's a bit juvenile. I think there's something about the colours. There's something about <sighs> the blue um, the blue stripes on the shoulders that make me think it's like a little bit... I don't know. I can see it as like a kid's I, kit. I just think it... I think it's better than the away kit. But I don't think that's yeah. hard. What did you call it again? Piss yellow or something? Oh, uh, no, it what something. was it? Um, you made me laugh. Oh, God. Like, I can't tepid, remember. Tepid, tepid yellow? Tepid. Tepid's a, yeah, yeah, tepid's a good word. 
Yeah, Do I you just think what? he's a bit juvenile, but I mean, it's, you know, it's a fucking kit. Who cares? I'm hoping for a good third kit. Apparently, I've seen it. The, the sort of, it's like a blue jaggedy one. It looks very nice. Maybe that'll be the one I go for this season. Tell you what's nice. The go- we said the goalkeeper kit. The blue, the blue goalie kit, kit is, is fire. Yeah. It's absolute fire. Adidas have come through. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, it's just a kit, anyway. Um, oh, mate, and that, right. the wait, is it the hoodie? Is it like the wi- the burgundy or like wine red hoodie looks? Yeah. Oh. That is, that is, that is pain. That is absolute pain. Um, before we get on to more sort of uh, concrete sort of transfer stuff, uh, we haven't podcasted since the news came out about the All or Nothing series. Um, oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's been a while. Uh, we don't want to spend too long on that because I feel like the, the sort of the takes have been given. But um, what, the one thing I would say about this is it did encourage me because I think if we're allowing Amazon cameras in, knowing the media space at the moment, that's a decision that's been made it's not going to be a, a spur of the moment decision, right? So there must be an acceptance or a hope or a um, probably a level of investment that we can expect, considering yeah. not only the ten million pounds that we'll get for doing it, and you know that's bought us what a Tavares, but more importantly, the fact that we're not going to want, especially at this time when Arsenal are sort of teetering on the brink of becoming not a laughing stock, but definitely not a top six club anymore at any kind of consistent level. Um, where our reputation is really being questioned, I don't think this is a good time to do that if we're not going to be investing. Surely, especially if you think about as having American owners, they know what an Amazon series, you know, the 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 sort of the worldwide and specifically American audiences will will see that. And the likes of Cronky, the likes of Stan and Josh are not going to allow that to be a joke in the same way that the, the not that the Spurs one was particularly a joke as such, but it was in a tumultuous and turbulent season. I think at the very best, this could be a brilliant hashtag Brad puff piece for piece the club. Of propaganda. Propaganda. Stalin esque propaganda, where we could really see the the sort of flip of the public perception of Arteta. Because I think at the moment it's sort of like Pep's protege. But you know, there's sort of certain things that if we get that behind the scenes access, because basically we get this idea that Arteta is behind the scenes, this brilliant coach who everyone, you know, everyone is uniting behind and they say what he's doing on the training ground is amazing. Having that access, if we do see that, if they show that in the right way, it could be fantastic. You think of clips going around Twitter, you think of clips going around Sky News, you know, this time next year or whenever whenever it's going to come out, could be a, a game changer for the, the sort of perception of Arteta publicly. Mm-hmm. And I think if they're not aiming for that, well, if if they're not going to invest... I wonder what the the point of it is, other than ten million pounds. Yeah, no, it's the one thing at the moment that gives me some sort of confidence that money's going to be spent. And I think it's it's kind of you look at two things, and I know we're going to come onto it later. But the fact that we've spent fifty million pounds on a defender, when you know we had the fourth best defense in the league and the eighth worst attack, or something stupid like that, you know, says a lot about how much money is going to be invested or at least that there's money in the coffers because at the end of the day with player prices you know we spoke earlier about 25 mil for our if we bring in Hussam Awa, that solves our kind of creep well or at least it takes a step towards solving our creative midfielder problem and it whether it's it's not the price tag that's important what this at least shows me is that Ben White will not be the end of our business because surely, if Ben White surely if if Ben White was and is the end of our business and they've signed on to do this documentary, 
I mean, I wouldn't put it past the club because they're fucking idiots, but they're a lot more stupid than I thought. Because it, it, the thing is, is it gives Arsenal fans evidence. You know, one of the things that the Spurs documentary did was give every other fan who meme Tottenham evidence that Jose Mourinho has just turned into a clown. Jose. You know, and, 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 and with some of their players as well. You know, you think of the chances, got goals. Fucking goals, fucking score, fucking wing you, match. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it just gave everyone else the opportunity to just take the piss and it showed them for the the very little banter club that they are. One thing I hope is that, that our owners aren't fucking stupid enough well, to not invest after dealing with this, but, you know... That might, <laughs> might be too big a request. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's go on to it then. The big news, the it. actual big news, is that we have agreed a fee, according to David Ornstein, of £50 million for Ben White from Brighton. Um, Just to sort of inform our discussion a little bit, I did find some stats earlier on. Ben White made the most appearances, played the most minutes, got the same amount of clean sheets, um, more interceptions per 90, more dribbles per 90, more chances created per 90, more forward passes percentage than all of our centre-backs um, and was basically second to uh, Louise in pass ending the final third and pass accuracy to holding. So stats-wise, um, I appreciate we've had discussions before that you can sort of profile you know, um, anyone and, and make them look good, but the stats do look good. Uh, we're going to have an episode coming out with someone fairly soon, sort of a proper breakdown analysis in the same way we did with Tavares and Lukonga, really properly going into the Ben White thing. Um, but just between us now, it's a statement of intent. Hmm. It's a real statement of intent. Listen, we're spending £50 million on uh, a 23-year-old, and we've discussed uh, sort of earlier on just about the sort of, you know, the 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 I guess the methodology or the ideology behind signing those players at that sort of price you know i wish we'd signed him two or three years ago but here we are ben white i believe um as long as and i think as everyone everyone's basically saying as long as this is not the end of our spending as long as this is a part of our spending and a deal that we have done before we move on to other things i think it's a fantastic signing in terms of the you know and people are talking about in terms of you know oh well you know we we have creative issues we do but that is a complete misunderstanding of how football is played at the moment. The first phase could be argued, other than, of course, putting a goal, putting the ball in the back of the net, building up properly and structuring your build-up and structuring your attack in the best way possible might be argued to be the most important thing in football other than putting the ball in the back of the net, right? And Ben White can help us do that. He's someone who's so comfortable on the ball, someone who is... Um, only going to get better someone who has has uh, uh experience all through the football pyramid as long as this isn't the end of our spending i think it's a fantastic signing i think it's also a situation where we'll have two top class center backs one who is slightly more physical in sort of gabrielle and slightly more maybe more agile and someone's a bit more faster and someone who is just completely comfortable on the ball someone is able to play in many different positions as well and that's something else i love about ben white is that he can he's played at right back he's played at dm i'm not saying that artes is going to use him at right back but if he wants to build up in a three ben white can shift out to the right hand side um yeah i just i just think it's it's a great move and and you know all the caveats of if this is the end of our spending what are we doing but if we can afford him He's gonna. He, I think he's gonna make much more of an impact to our build-up and to our actual creative play than people think he is. To a degree, 
I agree with that. I think he's a great <laughs> signing. I mean, as in, like, I still think if we don't sign a creative midfielder, even when we played with David Luiz, even though there, you know, there are certain things that Ben White profiles better than David Luiz at, we still had creative issues. You know, I, I, it's quite bad. But I saw somebody describe the period that we didn't play with in number ten as cancer ball, because, <laughs> like, it was just, it was, it was honestly horrendous. Because we did miss that link, because even if Ben White can bring the ball forward and bring it into midfield, and then if he passes it off to Thomas Party, and then there's nobody of real quality in front of him, we are going to have issues. It's a fantastic deal. Look, we've already said our opinions that we think we think it's a slight overpay, because it is a slight overpay, you know, but in the same way that Harry Maguire was an overpay. Harry Maguire is not an 80 million pound defender. Harry Maguire is probably a 50, 60 million pound defender. But he's English. He was at a club that had a very long contract on him. So you had to pay the price. And this is the same with Ben White. Ben White is a 35, 40 million pound player. If he wasn't English, you'd probably probably get him for 35, 40 million quid. Mm. Because if we paid 30 million for Saliba, who was four years his senior... Is his his junior, sorry, and had no Premier League experience. You know, this is a good deal. It does hinge on whether this is the last deal. I don't think it is. I don't think it can no. be. But uh, I, I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, um, I, uh, I think it's I think it's a fantastic first signing. I just hope that the domino effect now kicks in and we get some more players in. Yeah, and I think apart from the fee, which you could sort of make an argument, I think in every possible facet. I have no concern about his technical ability. I have no concern. No. His recovery you're also pace just, is You're arguing over five to 10 million quid, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Because if he's a 35, 40 million pound player and we've played 15, you're talking about 10 or 15 million quid, yeah. which for a club that makes as much money as we do and for an owner that we have, that obviously we know our owner doesn't invest, but is as wealthy as he is, it should not be an issue yeah. that we've overpaid by 10 million quid for this guy. No, and I think everything, you know, in every capacity, which way you look at the deal, you know, in terms of his, you know, most carries were take on by central defenders in the Premier League, most dribbles completed by central defenders in the Premier League. He's someone who's going to be able to allow us to push that much further up the pitch, someone who can be that David Luiz, who is 10 years younger and without much of a, with much less of a mistake in him. He's robust, you know, his injury history is really, really good. Obviously, he'll come to Arsenal and get an ACL first game. But, uh, you know, the thing is... Touch wood right now, Alex. Touch wood. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I've, I've, I've cursed it. Touch wood. Touch wood. I'm touching my head, mate. So don't worry. Um, that's a classic dad joke, that. That is a classic dad joke. Uh, but yeah, listen, I, I, I we'll, we'll look into him in much more detail in, in an episode uh, coming up soon. But yeah, overall, safe to say, I think it's a really, really good signing and and let's just one more time, as long as it's not the end of our our kind of uh, our kind of work this summer. I'm really happy, really, really happy. What what shirt number is he going to take? If he takes four, that's a big statement. I don't think he could. I think there would available. be absolute. I think there'd be it'd be fucking absolute. Can you outright. imagine Arsenal Twitter? I Can think you imagine. It, it's, I, it, I don't even I, I, like. I think it would kick off. I, I think it would be ba- I think that that honestly would be the what because and then one thing we've spoken about as well is like the morale of fans and getting fans on side for this season that is going to be so important disrespecting Saliba like that would alienate 
probably like 60% of the fan base automatically in one decision. It'd be, it, it would honestly be the worst decision, I think, but just purely because this yeah. season is so important. It's just not worth it. And especially no. considering Saliba took the four off El Nenny, you know, it was given that, that shirt number, you know, yeah. with, with that sort of in mind. Um, yeah, we'll see. I reckon it'll probably get 18. Uh, just before we close out the show with a, a discussion, um, I want to talk about just, you know, quickly about Tavares. I thought it, I thought it looked really, really good in the, um, or Tavares, Mario, um, in the, the game against no, no, Rangers. No. I think we've missed someone who is as, I'm not saying he's completely two-footed, but can use that right foot well. I think Tierney gets into those positions a lot and because his right foot isn't as strong, West Brom game aside, uh, because he doesn't like to use his right foot as much as, as it looks like Tavares yeah. does, we, Tavares gets into a lot of those kind of positions. It it didn't fit and it, because of his size, because of his strength, and he's quick, but he's sort of that quick that's like, just because he's so, he's just got long legs, he just looks like that kind of sort of, he looks very sort of large when he when he traverses the pitch. I think weirdly, it's going to help us not only in the way that it helped us today in terms of um, in terms of the goal, but I think his two footedness really helped us out in the wide areas. I think we we often um, and maybe it will change because I've, I've I've often decried the lack of decried decried the lack of uh, centrality uh, in the Arsenal team. But so we spent a lot of time going down that flank, and when Tierney is out. Um, I think having Tavares there is going to be such a big help, mm-hmm. but especially with that with that other foot he's he's got, which I I really appreciated today. It was just really really nice interplay with Smith Rowe, really nice interplay at times um, with uh, with El Neni and Party. He looks really really good, and it's a good signing. I'm happy. Listen, it, it's the move of a big club to secure a very like a young, decent prospect left back to play in in Europa League or Champions League kind of group stage games and and the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup games, you know, hopefully if we have a good season and we get either, you know, anywhere from fourth to sixth and we get back into like strong European competition, it's what's going to be needed. So getting him in now and giving him a season to get ready. And, you know, I think this is why getting signings in for this season is going to be so important because what we want to be able to do is just start to add Rolls Royces, like you say, and start to add final pieces every summer. Now this feels like a big summer of rebuild and, and Tavares is a, is a good piece of business within that. Hopefully there's no mentality issues and there's no kind of issues off the pitch, but on it, it's a, he looks like a very decent prospect and to have that different option to exploit as well is brilliant because say you do have a right back who's very weak in the tackle on his left foot. So cutting Mm. in onto your right foot is what you want to do. Being able to have Tavares do that is just going to open up more avenues for us. And it's going to, it's going to, it's, it it is, it adds dynamics. And I think this is why that we forget sometimes we don't just want like two different versions of ESR to play in the 10. You need different players for different game states and different things. And that's why Tavares is such a good pickup. Definitely. Definitely. And Lekonga is close. Uh, Yeah. Which is exciting. Sambi. Sambi boy. El Sambi. Um, El Sambino. 
So uh, there was the, just before we finish out the show with a, a bit of a discussion, I do want to talk about the bringing fans closer, uh, the new approach unveiled by Arsenal. Essentially that the Arsenal Advisory Board will now have elected representatives from the Arsenal Independent Supporters Association, the Arsenal Supporters Trust, Gay Gunners, uh, various other supporters associations. Uh, Josh Cronkey, as, as I said before, will now be at fans forums at least once a year, which I think he should be at more, but anyway. Um, yeah, once but, a year is atrocious. Yeah, but look... <laughs> We asked for more involvement or more, what, what you know, hashtag we care to you. We asked for more things that, you know, they're key themes for discussion. They're talking about preserving our culture, growing the women's team. There appears to be a level of listening from the board and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm some sort of huge, hugely involved in kind of the AST and all that sort of stuff. I think I really respect what those guys do. That's just not what, what I, I kind of like Arsenal for. Um, but I think that's an amazing thing and ensuring that the fans' voice is heard and respected and listened to. I think there is a real, um, a real need for that to be incorporated into the club. Um, just so people feel listened to. The thing is, it's like, you know, business decisions will be made, but I think when people feel as though their voices are at least incorporated or at least in terms of, you know, taken into, into account, I think it can make such a big difference. And I think this sort of silence that we've heard, you know, silent stand has been a, obviously been a thing over the years, but you know, this, this sort of, um, complete lack of uh, transparency and communication has been a problem and it's another step forward you know the interviews that Edu has done the interviews that Vinay has done the interviews that Artessa continues to do I think are all part of growing a picture growing the fan base and can actually help build supporters trust can help build uh, can help build supporters in numbers it's a huge thing and and in, in a mm. world where we are all so much more connected I think it's 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 a real misstep that in the past perhaps we haven't been spoken to or communicated with as much or taken into account as much because actually it's so simple to you know digital forums online forums are now so easily accessible that for us i'm not to take advantage of that seems silly to me so it's a good step i i'm always cynical with these things with how much they're gonna sort of help the fans voice be heard but at least they're doing it it's something we'll see we will see we will see uh so we haven't uh podcasted as well this is the problem we're doing podcasts is they we sort of get behind uh with the all fallout of the euros uh brad and i watched the game together at a pub in uh east london took me it it took me three hours to get home and it was raining and like i got on a bus it got cancelled couldn't get an uber it was like it was like something out of a film like the worst night of my life there's no um there's no words to be able to sum up how awful some of the responses and the racism has been towards Saka and Sancho and, and Rashford and stuff. We can only deplore it and we can only say how disgusting it is and we can only call it out when we see it. Um, I feel like the England discussion has kind of been had. Something I'd love to ask you about, though, is Saka himself. Uh, the statement that came out uh, from Saka, I think maybe yesterday or the day before, I thought was really, really well written. Um, mm-hmm. Again, people saying, oh, well written. Well, this is a guy who is extremely well educated and probably got better grades at school than you and is a professional football, football player, so shut up. Um, but I think it, more of the discussion and more my concern is how Saka will bounce back. I think, I think Saka is the type of character who can take this on the chin, who can learn from it, who, who can grow from it. I think Gareth Southgate putting Saka in that position is absolutely appalling maybe one of the worst decisions i've ever seen in management putting a 19 year old in that position because um my, weirdly my boss at work made this um made this point even if saka scores 
that could potentially be the peak of his career as a 19-year-old, scoring the goal to, you know, or, or scoring a penalty in the Euros. So it's putting a 19-year-old in that position when there's Grealish and Saka, and, uh, Grealish and Sterling and all those, all those other players is ridiculous. But to be honest, that's been said, that's been had. My question really, and that's something I think is, is still to be sort of discussed, how do you see Saka coming back from this? You know, he puts the statement out. Um, I believe personally that that he um, that he will be able to come back from this. I don't feel the same level. And I think a media space is different from when there was the kind of Beckham being the scapegoat, Rooney being the scapegoat. I was worried he'd become that. And actually, I've, I've been surprised at how different the media co- coverage has been. How do you see his recovery from this? Where do you see him going from here? I think he comes back bigger and better than ever. I really do. Um, I think it was the. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's the worst decision we've seen in in management, probably. Uh, as an Arsenal fan in history, you know, it. Yeah, I, I, I can't really. You know, I was furious on the night, and I, I still stand by what I tweeted that on that decision alone, Southgate should walk out of embarrassment, putting a nineteen-year-old on the fifth penalty, which is the most important penalty in a penalty shootout. Yeah, because that's the moment that decides if you go to sudden death or you're out. And it is no surprise that even though he missed, Italy put Jorginho on theirs. You know, a penalty specialist. Um, but. I, I think Saka comes back better than ever because it's also not only his fault, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't think you can scapegoat anyone. Three players missed a penalty. Wasn't just him. So I think that that is something that massively plays into the positive of of the narrative as well. No fan can say, oh, you know, Saka ruined it all for us, you know, mm. because, you know, at the end of the day, Rashford and Sancho missed the penalty too. And I, that's not a positive and I don't want to kind of be like, well, these people no, are no, shit no, too, I don't, I don't but it, it, it at least doesn't hang the entire vitriol upon one head as we have seen in the past, you know, with Southgate, you know, the blame of, of that 96 team not reaching the final and winning has rested on Southgate up until his managerial career for England. And I think we're very lucky that that won't happen with Saka. But I think he comes back better than ever. I think we're going to actually see a bit of an explosion in productivity in terms of just pure numbers, kind of goals and assists-wise this season. I think we'll see a big increase to kind of the Tunis. I think he scored seven or eight. I think we'll get between 12 and hopefully 15 out of him this season if he keeps his head down, keeps working hard like he has been and just keeps improving. He only made his professional debut 18 months ago and he was put on the final penalty for England. It's a stupid decision, but Southgate at least had the confidence in him to do it. Yeah. And so I, and I really do believe that this... I, I, I think one thing that the Euros showed me, everyone used to be like, oh, you know, Saka isn't in this conversation or in this conversation. You're right. He's not in that conversation. He's above them. He's above them. I think the only youngster that you can really put him into a conversation with is Phil Foden. And I think Foden's probably better than him right now and maybe could have a better ceiling, but we're not sure because the issue we have is we have not seen Bukayo Saka in a functional team ever. Phil Foden has only ever worked under the best manager. 
look at the way that people talk about Messi for not being able to achieve the things that he achieved under Pep Guardiola with other people. Look, Messi's one of the greatest to ever live, but it's still a conversation that you go, well, could Pep do it without Messi and could Messi do it without Pep? Can Foden do it without the elite levels of management and without the phenomenal players around him? Because we fucking know that Saka can. Yep. So it's no longer, oh, Mason Greenwood, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Just a quick PSA to any United fans and to any Chelsea fans. And please feel free to screen record me saying this, all Arsenal fans listening to this and play it to your friends. He is above them. He took the final penalty for England in the Euros final. Nothing Greenwood or Callum Hudson-Odoi ever do will ever live up to that. Agreed, mate. Agreed. And uh, one thing I've said is to a number of people now is if your kid asks to drive your car and they crash the car because you let them drive it, that's on you. You shouldn't yeah, let man. your kid drive the car. I'm sorry. But the point is, is this kid and our kid, Saka, wants to drive the car. He is the guy. He is the guy who stands up in those positions in front of Sterling, in front of Grealish and gets picked by Southgate to take that penalty. Now, it's a terrible decision. It's it's a truly awful decision. But the fact that there was question marks about if he, if he, if he even should be going to the Euros and this is the guy who stands up at that moment and is counted. And I agree with you, mate. Like He should have started over Mason Mount in the, in the yeah. final. And he, he ended up at number 10 in the final, actually. But like, look, the point being that I, you know, I, there was, I, I, mean, I cried on the night. I mean, you saw me, like, I was absolutely gutted because I was so, so did I. So I was did I. so worried that he's going to end up as this, as the scapegoat and be the kind of the Daily Mail click boy and, and sort of in the way that, you know, the son of Treat Raheem Sterling, all that stuff. Yeah. I was so worried that was going to happen. I'm mm-hmm. so glad that hasn't happened. And I think mm-hmm. from here, this is going to be a massive motivator. This is going to be something that brings him back. And I think Saka has the mental strength. I think he has the love and support of so many people that I think, you know, I think he'll look back and, you know, I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Ronaldo, but Ronaldo made the exact same, he did the exact same thing in any Euros. And I think it was 2004, missed a penalty, which meant Portugal went out. I think he's only going to come back stronger and uh, yeah, sending him love and sending, Sending the whole and team. I'm love. so proud of him. Yeah. I'm so proud of all of the boys. Can be more. So. And do you know what? Uh, whatever you think of the decisions that Southgate have made, none of us thought we'd get past the round of 16 or the quarterfinals. Southgate earned the right to make those mistakes in the final. He did. And were they mistakes? Yes. Should we, as soon as they matched us up, have changed system and been more proactive, as Alex says, be the protagonists? <laughs> Which yeah. that's I Emery, not me, but yeah. I know, but uh, <laughs> he he earned the right to make those decisions. And I'm so proud of him and the boys. They really did us proud. All right, Brad, we've just got time for Arsenal trivia. <laughs> uh, what was, you, you probably won't remember this, I asked you last season now, Brad, like four episodes ago, it's probably, uh, what was Arsenal's Premier League position in 2009-2010? I think we were third. Oh, Brad. We were, weren't we? Unbelievable. Yeah. Is, that, is that five for five? No, I missed the Stuttgart one because I, I Yeah, I but went, you got it. You actually got it right. Youth career. I got it right. But then I started thinking about his like, youth career and going to stupid things like, oh, he was in the Bundesliga too. But yeah. I'll give you, so, I'm so going to give you five for five, Brad. Five for five. That's, That's unbelievable. Uh, genuinely, this is, I don't tell. I don't tell him them. <laughs> He's really good. No, no, uh, I don't Google it because I always forget what the questions are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the next question is uh, listeners at home and Bradley in the what season Arsenal celebrated their 125th anniversary in what season did Arsenal celebrate their 125th anniversary Brad, it's great to be back recording just you oh, and it's I. so good. I Season love it. two of the Different Not Podcast. Season two. But just a quick thank you to all the guests, if you're listening, that we've had over the yes. last few episodes. It was, it's been a pleasure recording with you and I hope we can collaborate soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Rohan, um, Scott and, and Scott, Mario. Lovely guys. Mario, that was good shit. Um, yeah. And thank you for listening. If, you, if you've been yeah, here since the very first couple of episodes, drop us a line on Twitter. Let us know. Uh, if you've got Please to the very do. end because uh, we appreciate it there's way more to come from us um, and yeah appreciate Making it moves. always thank you so much uh, for listening always, to the uh, different thanks, not always podcast. for listening please Keep hit subscribe or follow on and whatever we'll see you platform later. you're using bye bye if you'd like Please. to support the show you can find us on patreon and buymeacoffee.com find us on twitter at diffknock and visit our website thedifferentknock.com thanks Podcast Network.